Welcome everybody, you're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are Positively different radio in the morning, you're with the double L team, Lyle and Lawson Lawson, how are you this morning? I'm great You're great I'm so good you're so good. Because we had a really epic Christmas party last night. It was the night. best Christmas party ever. And, and we the won. Faith FM team won. That's right. We smashed easily, it. Easily, easily. We were the first ones through the course. We yep. got the most points on every station. We assume. Yes. Mm-hmm. I believe. No, we believe. Yeah, we believe. That's we, right. We know. We, yeah. No one could have done better than us. None. Because we cheated. All I, the way. I mean, I mean. Epically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we won. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. all that matters. <laughs> that is all that matters. We had a Christmas party. We had what was it? Some kind of scavenger hunt activities. Kind yeah, of yeah. And you go to each station. You have to do something. And like, that's the thing is that like, it, there was I think there was eight stations and eight teams. It was it was really cool because it was a COVID safe, non vaccine required event, and it was outside. Yes, we were running around. Um, and I think I think they're really the massive re- shout out to Jody and her team who yeah, put it on. Good job, and the food was good. Yes, we ate sausages, but like vegetarian, vegetarian. sausages. Yeah, they were awesome. So, dude, I'm uh, that like that's the ultimate way to cap it off is free food. That's right. <laughs> yep. So that's that's a blessing. Bit sad about some of the staff we're losing. Yeah, that's right. But they gave beautiful speeches they and were shouting out people, and everyone was super stoked for them. And they're moving on to good things in their life. They are. Mm. It's a bit sad. It is. I guess we'll have some new people moving into. Yeah, that's right. Time soon, so. <laughs> to welcome to bully. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes, to welcome Lawson. To welcome. Uh huh. Mm. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Right. Where are we up to in positively different? Positive. Yeah, we've done the phone number yet. Oh, zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call. And just, I think I said it, but it's good to say it, yeah, you know, it a couple of times. We'll and again, that question was, "What did Jesus call sinners to?" Okay, positively different news. Let's have it. Positively different news. All right, positively different news this morning. Story one. Um, this is this is interesting. We can have a conversation about this because it seems like positively different news. Twitter. See, this is the thing. This is the thing with 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 you, Lawson. All of all of my other co-hosts, when it comes to positively different news, it's always positive. Yeah, yours is sometimes like, let's have a discussion about this. Is this positive or not? That, I, that's right. It's it's Schrodinger's news, bro. Okay. It could be positive. It could be not positive. Right. Let's hear it. Right. Let's this, is, this is the thing. Well, you decide. You okay. tell us. Twitter mm. will remove images tweeted without consent. Right. Yeah. So Twitter. So I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to figure out what does that actually mean. So if I take a photo of, you know, if I take a, a snapshot of the beach, for instance, and mm-hmm. in the distance you can see a couple of people, random people at the far end of that particular uh-huh. beach, Twitter takes it down. Well, that's the thing. A complaint. A complaint has to be lodged. Oh, okay. So, this is a good thing. So you don't need to so you don't need to gain consent. Like you don't right. have to have a consent form with every yes. But if don't someone have, don't have to have a a model release form. Yeah, that's right. But if the person complains, it's automatically down. It can get taken down. Okay, this which seems like a good thing initially, and yeah. and it's in an effort to stop what's called doxing. 
Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. For those who maybe don't know what that is, essentially doxing is something that happens on the internet pretty regularly now where people intentionally release um, other people's personal information because yes. there's a level of anonymity even though, like, for example, like I'm on Facebook, right? But I don't have my address plastered all over my my Facebook page. No, that's right. But if somebody goes to your house, takes a photograph of the front of your house with the house number, street name right there in the photograph, yeah. puts it out there, this is where Lawson lives, go and egg his house, yeah. you can complain and have that taken that's down. That's right. Well, it's that's actually, it's it's like illegal, but at the same time, because of the anonymity on Twitter, it's hard for like a lot of those cases to go through. Yes. Because, because this is what what has been happening in terms of Twitter and doxing is like when, you know, Twitter, like we talk about the echo chamber of social media. Yes. Twitter is like the that on steroids. Like yes. it is the biggest echo chamber of social media that exists. Like that. It feeds you what you want to hear. Yeah. And it's just, oh, but it's just aggression and anger and all kinds of things. Um, but that being <sighs> said, so basically you, um, yeah, it's pretty common on Twitter that, you know, if, say, one group of people doesn't like a certain person or they're trying to cancel them or whatever, they'll just full-on dox them. They'll just release their public information um, to try and scare that person into submission, essentially, and into silence. And it happens really regularly. And, um, yeah, there's all kinds of things that people do with that information as well. Like something common is called swatting, um, particularly amongst people who stream, stream live on the internet, like someone will work out what their address is and then we'll call the police and say that they have a bomb or they're going to kill someone and then the SWAT, a SWAT team will rock up at their house and take them, you know, take them out even though they haven't done yep, anything. Yep. Just all kinds well, of stuff that, like that. It's kind of one of those things you have to do if somebody calls in a bomb threat. That's it? right. And can't so not. you can't blame the police, but it's ultimately no. just like the terrible behavior of humans. Wasting the just... police's time and persecuting somebody unnecessarily. And so, yeah, Twitter are uh, putting out, you know, restrictions to be able to stop that. That being said, though, um, so the rule is like, you know, if, like if it's like basically, for instance, it would uh, take into consideration whether the Im- image was publicly available on news websites. So it's like, okay, is this image publicly available? You know, if someone makes a complaint, oh, I want to take this down, but it's like, oh, man, like this is publicly available. That could be one Way to go. Or, but then it says, or if a particular image and the accompanying tweet text adds value to the public discourse, um, is being shared in the public interest or is relevant to the community, which essentially means then. That's a loophole for like whatever you that's define right. it to be. That's right. And so that's why where you even it's have like, this policy in the first place. That is where it's like, does it actually, is it actually like good legislation or policy that they're putting in place here? Because then it can be used to go the other way, which is like, Someone has genuine criticism put up about them. Yes. And then the person who's being criticized complains to Twitter. And, you know, depending on the power that that person has or the leverage, I can imagine, like, yeah, it'll a politician. Co- it, will, it will all come down to who has the most power. And then ultimately, you know, that information about that particular person doesn't get out because Twitter, you know... Senses has, the information. Yeah, that's right. So it's kind of a oh, it's it's just oh, it's a tricky social one. Social media is just a minefield. It's yeah. just an absolute minefield for anyone trying to police. Mm. It is you know, citizen media is like what do you, what do you even do there? Where do you even go? Your moment you step one direction, you've you've infringed on on freedom of speech. Your moment you step the other direction, you've opened the the a whole can of worms for cancelling and doxing and every other horrible mm. thing and bull- cyberbullying and so forth. It's just like, 
What do you do with the world in which we live? That's right. 0491064669 is the number to call and text. Give us some thoughts. Let us know. What, what, which way do you think this should go? Should it be like no restrictions whatsoever? Or should we be, you know, boarding this thing up and, and really, yeah, trying to... Trying I'd to, love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, definitely. I do not have a solution for this. Anyways, in other news, the winner of the 2021 Dyson Award has gone to a glaucoma monitor that you can use at home. So what's a Dyson award? Oh, you know, Dyson, the vacuum cleaners. Yeah. So they're like really into like the medical field too. Right. And so they have an award every year that they, you know, they award money and, you know, stuff for for medical innovation, medical innovations and startups and inventors and all that kind of stuff. And so this year's Dyson award went to uh, this woman. Her name is Kelu Yu. Um, She is, Chinese and she's invented this thing. It looks like base. Oh, this looks so cool. It's basically like an Apple watch monitor thing. And then out of it, there's like this like single finger of a glove and using like, you know, scanners and like AI, you hold it up to your eye, you know, once a day and it scans your eye and, you know, gets like a layout of what's going on there. And then this app then sends that information to a, you know, physician or some kind of eye doctor or something that then can look at it and give you an immediate diagnosis to see if your glaucoma is getting better or worse. And and it'll also, like, create a profile over, say, if you scan your eye every single week, it'll create a profile of whether your glaucoma is increasing or decreasing. That's wild. It, uh, it's crazy. Like, because gl- glaucoma, like, affects, like... A lot of people. Uh, like, a lot I think it's like people. over 100 million people in the world. It's like it's like a condition that comes upon like a lot of people and it's a big problem. Um, and there's nothing that can, there's no like preventative action you can take. It just happens, but you, you can only deal with the symptoms and the problems. Yep. But yeah, doctors are going to be able to know what to do and be able to be sent that information from home. There you go. With your own, you know, glaucoma. It's in my family, so. Monitor. Oh man, you're going to yeah. need this. Maybe. You never know. So nah, let's just let's have the Lord come first. Amen, amen. <laughs> but yeah, no, nah, this is really cool. And this person, uh, Keller, was uh, uh, rewarded, awarded, sorry, a forty thousand dollar cash prize. You know, to go back into the you know making of this commercializing medical equipment. If you're not a massive company, is very difficult to do, and pretty much you need to be picked up by big pharmacy so that you could they can give you the money that's needed. But this is a huge innovation in this space. Nothing ever has ever been made like this. And uh, I guess we'll see in the future if we're all going to be scanning our eyes for glaucoma. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, if you know the answer, give us a call right now mm. because we would love to send you a prize. Janella's text through to say that as of the 1st December, Facebook will take down anyone's account who posts anything anti-COVID in their Facebook page. Free speech is being destroyed. So I've just been I've been scrolling through my Facebook page looking for anti-COVID posts. I've come up with two so far. Mm-hmm. So their algorithm isn't super effective. I'm going to write something right now and see if I get banned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that, do that, do that. I'm, I'm super keen. I'm just going to write anti-COVID. And then- <laughs> just, just write COVID doesn't exist and see what the hell happens. Uh, now I'm a kind of... I'm like, is this a good idea? Yeah, because people are like, Because people have like, people, because I'm like, oh, I want to communicate that it's a joke. But then I'm like, but then will my thing get taken down? 
it's, I don't know. I don't know what to do. All right. Uh, Rafi says, Twitter seems Twitter seems positive as long as someone in the pick is the one that complains. Good points, Lawson. There are always concerns on its proper use. People and companies can be very nasty. Mm. Interesting stuff. All right. Time for more serious news? Yeah, what's going on? Okay, you're talking about attempted yeah, murder. This is trying pretty, to kill this is people. a hectic story. So three men and two women have been charged with attempted murder in South Australia. Uh-huh. Now, one of the men and one of the women are the parents of the person who uh, they tried to murder. So they tried to murder their own daughter. The others are siblings. There's basically this family got together and it's like, let's, let's murder our daughter. Oh, my goodness. Um, and so she was stabbed twice and then kidnapped from a shopping centre in Adelaide, uh, forced into a van and driven away. Um, witnesses who saw what, was, what happened... They took down the the license plate numbers, called the police, and the police immediately attended those addresses with uh, ambulances, and basically got there at the same time as they did. Uh, took the people into custody. They said that uh, they got this uh, this young girl onto the operating table with minutes to spare. She'd been stabbed multiple times. And this is her family. This was her family. Okay, and it, it seems that okay. So, the situation is that she was um, she she was a, a Muslim young girl who was going out with a Christian, and things had got pretty torrid at home. So she'd moved in with the guy, and her mother called her up and asked her to go shopping. Let's like oh you know let's let's go to the shops. Let's go shopping together. And so boyfriend drops her off at the shops uh, as you do, and basically lured her into an ambush so that they could kill her. In Australia. That is insane. Now, I've just got to say, this is not Islam. You talk to any Islamic person on the street, you know, basically any Islamic person on the street, they're going to tell you this is not Islam. Mm. This is not religion. This is not Christianity. This is none of those things. This is just, you know, the worst kind of bigotry and hatred that you can ever uh, come across. And you, it just sort of makes you wonder, you know, how, how does this even happen in Australia? All five of them have been a, a charged with attempted what would attempted murder? What were they thinking? Mm. You know where does this is the kind of thing that makes religion look bad? Yeah, this is not how you win people to your religion. This is not how you share your religious experience with others. This is not how you give your religion a good look. This is not how you. Make your religion look encouraging. This is how you just make turn people into atheists and want to hate religion mm. altogether. Yeah. So the question, you know, what were they trying to accomplish? Were they trying to? It just, it just blows my mind. Anyway, um, bail has not been provided, and neither it should be. These are the kind of people that should be thrown into jail and the keys thrown away mm. because of what they have done in. Well, it just makes it ten times worse when people do something like this in the name of religion. You get domestic yeah. violence and all that kind of stuff, and you know we understand when you know emotions and drugs and you know various levels of abuse and damage you know create these kinds of circumstances, and that's bad enough. And people go to jail for that, and mm. rightfully so. But when they do it, when they drag religion into it, that is just way worse, way worse than anything else. Anyway, so the um, oh, this is just a just a side point here. I'll toss this one in. Um, top eight most expensive cities in the world to live in. Number one is Paris. <sighs> Wait, why would anyone follow? Very there? closely by Sydney. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, then Osaka, Copenhagen, New York, Tel Aviv, Dubai, and Melbourne. Top eight Australians there twice. That's powerful. Ouch, ouch, ouch. That's anyway. right, because we're winners, okay? <laughs> back to, back to, uh, back to uh, faith-based stories. Okay, so faith in God is not required to enter heaven, according to the majority of people in the United States. So Pew Research has uh, just done a whole slew of research asking these kinds of questions and similar ones. Um, and I just want to say this. I agree. There will be people. The Bible speaks about the mm. fact. Zechariah chapter thirteen talks about people who will turn up in heaven and they have never heard of Jesus Christ. They see this guy with scars in his hands and they have no idea who he is. Mm. The difference between where I come from on this and the majority of the people who responded to this survey is the majority of people who responded to this survey have a view of God that is. God will save everybody. Yeah, universalism. Universalism. And I'm not talking about universalism. Nope. I'm not talking about large groups. The Bible talks about groups in heaven that will have this experience. But we're not talking about large groups. This is not everybody gets saved. Mm. Uh, this is people who respond to the voice of God. Everyone who is in heaven is going to be somebody who has responded to the voice of God. Mm. Whether it is the voice of God speaking to their conscience or the voice of God speaking to them through the Bible... Everyone who is there is going to be somebody who has responded to the voice of God. And the reason that this is important is very simply that either which way you go aside from that, you make God look bad. Mm. So if you go with universalism, you turn God into an abject liar who is just you know talking about hellfire and all this kind of stuff so that he can scare you to live a better life when he really doesn't care anyway, he's going to save you. Mm. He doesn't care what kind of life you live. He's going to save you. That's universalism. Mm. On the other hand, you've got those who, well, unless you confess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and actually use those words, those specific words, you're not saved. Mm. And that turns salvation into geographical chance. Well, you know, good thing. Hey, praise God, you were lucky enough to be born in a country where you could hear about Jesus Christ. Mm. And for all those people who were born in countries where they cannot hear about Jesus Christ, well, God has created those people so he can burn them for eternity. Mm. That does damage to the character of God as well. And so much of, so much of this uh, new Pew research is all about understanding people's view of the character of God and... Uh, it's pretty scary. Mm. It's pretty scary stuff. Pope Francis three years ago um, assured a young boy that his father might still make it to heaven even though he wasn't a believer in God and it created a firestorm of debate. Mm. How could that possibly be? Actually, sorry, that was he might still make it into heaven even though he wasn't a Roman Catholic. Mm. Oh, okay. Ooh. Yes. Okay, so Pew uh, research, 6,485 US adults, 73% of them believe in heaven, 62% believe in hell. Okay. Now, that's a kind of strange thing. You'd have one and not the other. But the thing that bothers me the most is that 99.9% of that 62% believe in a God who will burn people for eternity. Mm. What does that say about the character of God? There is no human being on earth who has ever been that evil. The Bible speaks about hellfire, but not eternal hellfire. The purpose of hellfire is to cleanse the universe from evil, not preserve evil for eternity in the universe. Mm. Um, then you've got um, uh, amongst the, the uh, believers in heaven, 
Sixty-eight uh, percent of them Roman Catholic. Fifty. So, sorry. Yeah. Uh, these. Okay. Eighty-six percent of uh, the people being researched here believed that suffering is random chance. Sixty-eight percent that everything happens for a reason, and that suffering makes a person stronger. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. And, well, this is something we don't have happen every day. Just randomly, somebody's walked into the studio (laughs) and agreed to share their story with a little bit of pressure from you and I. (laughs) That's right. And it's my friend Joy. Joy, how are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you guys going? Yeah, good. Well, me and Joy, we're going to go out to breakfast right now. Uh, Yes. But instead, we decided, well... Joy's got a story to share. Jesus has done great things for her, right? So why don't we talk about it? Guys, just to let you know, I was... I was happy to just wait in the car park and walk away. <laughs> so you made, the, you made the mistake of walking, of walking into the studio. In. But now you're sharing <laughs> what Jesus did for you. Amen. I don't see this as a mistake. This Power. can yeah. only be a good thing. That's it. That's it. So whereabouts, whereabouts did you grow up? Um, so I was born and raised in Fairfield, Sydney. Ah, so there you go. from the West, where yep. all the lovely multicultural people are, which I've loved growing up in that area. Are you a, multi, a lovely multicultural person yourself? Um, uh, yeah, somewhat. I, I was born here in Australia, um, but my parents are from Iraq and their parents are kind of like from Syria and Armenia wow. and da da da. So, so you're, just, you're just, okay, you're a typical Sydneyite. Yeah. I lived in Sydney. I lived in the West for yeah. 21 years, so I'm a Westie yeah. as well. So Nice to meet um, you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Good part of the world. Um, we all, we Westies, we all hang together. And, okay, so your, your parents from, are from Iraq. Yeah. They Christians? Yeah. Or, okay, Christians from Iraq, yes. Yeah. So like Assyrian uh, Christians? No. So that's a good question. Lots of people think, oh, okay, they're from Iraq, they must be Muslim. And then, oh, no, if they're not Muslim, they must be Assyrian. Um, but no, my parents were both uh, Christians, but they were they were both Adventists themselves, mm. but their parents were not. I'm sorry, mum and dad, if I don't quote this right, because I'm just remembering the things that they have told me. And if I misquote, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so my my family were always Christians, but mm. not always Adventist. Um, and from my mum's side of the family, I think someone from America had come into Syria and uh, spread the news about Adventism. Mm. And that's where my grandma was converted. And then on my dad's side, I think something similar, something must have happened. And then they became Adventist. And so my dad was actually, he actually studied to be a pastor and he ended up being the pastor of the church in Baghdad, the Adventist church in Baghdad. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot of history there. He um, was in the war and a whole bunch of other things and things got really serious in Iraq, I guess. And that's when they thought, okay, let's move over to Australia. It's it's safer for the family. Mm. So they moved here and they had my brother and myself. And So was it safer for Christians mm. before or after Desert Storm? Oh, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. We need to get your dad here. <laughs> I will. I'll bring him in. <laughs> and ask these questions. Uh, yeah. Because this is something that, you know, I've heard was that it was actually safer beforehand mm. and that uh, Saddam Hussein wasn't giving, you know, the Adventists or the other Christians a, a, a terribly hard time as a general rule. I mean, hey, he was a, he was a dictator and did all kinds of terrible things. We get <laughs> that. But that, you know, you were more likely to be persecuted if you were Kurdish or that kind of thing than if you were a Christian. It is a good question and I'm going to stay out of politics because I, <laughs> I cannot say for sure. So I'll bring my dad in. But, <laughs> so sounds great. Nonetheless, you're here now and yeah. you, you were born, praise God, and uh, yeah. you grew up in Sydney. And That's I imagine right. if you, both your parents were 
Adventist Christians, then mm. you would have grown up within the church environment. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so did your dad pastor in Sydney as well? No. So when he first came here, he actually um, uh, was trying to find a job and something happened and he ended up going into IT, which is what my mum does. So they stayed in IT for quite some time. And then just recently, a couple of years ago, dad was made redundant and he's like, nah, I can, I can have a break from IT. Um, and he got asked by the church to do like a Middle Eastern communications um, leadership position. And I was kind of like volunteering and he did that for a year or two. And then I think during the COVID situation, things got difficult, weren't as many pastors around. So they're like, oh, you were a pastor. Do you want to come back and be a pastor at one of the local churches? And the local church is Fairfield, which is where we were born and grew up. So yeah, he said yes. And now he's part-time there, but really working full-time and he's loving it. (laughs) He's just like the joy in his face when he does all this study for the gospel. Like he's always, always been in the church volunteering and whatnot Mm. um, in leadership positions or whatever else. And I guess raised me and my family to do the same, but um, yeah, he's loving it now. So he's gone back to his roots and I think just spreading the gospel there. Uh, That's absolutely awesome. We have, of course, uh, one of our pastors here in the local area that I associate with on the end.digital. digital his um his parents and he's got family from iraq as well so his, oh. his dad's from his dad's whole family's from iraq as well so there who you is go. this we justin, need to meet justin tarosian oh no he's armenian yes yeah. from iraq yeah okay cool yeah yeah nice yeah, and this is the thing when i talk to people from iraq it's like are you armenian are you kurdish yeah. are you uh, babylonian are you assyrian you know because they always tell me i'm i'm, I'm, I'm iraq but i'm one of these yeah <laughs> but i'm persian <laughs> No, no. Okay, so you've grown up in the church. Mm-hmm. Is there a point in your life that you can pinpoint where you gave your life to God? Not one point in particular. I think So this was a process for you? Always a process. Still is a process, to be honest. I think my testimony is more what God does in my life every day. And as you look back on it, you realise, oh, okay, so this is where, I guess, hmm. If we go back to high school kind of days, I think that's a point where a lot of people think, am I really in this for myself or is there something better out there, right? Because, mm. you know, Sabbath is a nice thing once a week, having a day off. Yes. Yeah. But, oh, if the you want to study, <laughs> no, that's a whole day off of, work, <laughs> of the week that everyone else could be using studying. And yeah, you're like, it's a guilt-free day off. I know, guilt-free. But if you if you feel at one point this isn't right, then why are you doing it? Mm. And, you know, I, I went to an Adventist um, high school, SAC, Sydney Adventist College, but then I went to a secular university and praise God for that. I loved it. Um, however, at that point, I didn't need to be Adventist and I didn't need to necessarily follow God or um, go to church. And it would probably be easier, lightly say the word easier, to walk away from the church and um go that way if I didn't really believe in it. So I think it made me really question Christianity. And I did a medical science degree first before I went into medicine. And with that medical science degree, you know, you've got all of your evolution and all of the, like, how did the animals and how did humans, um, I guess, progress in life. Mm. And like, you get exposed to all of that stuff from a young age, even in Adventist schools, which is showing theories and whatnot. But yeah, I, I saw that and through church and through my own research and through friends that were really interested in evolution versus creation, I was able to make that decision. Hey, no, actually creation sounds a lot more, like it has a lot more substance and purpose than evolution. Mm. Um, and we can go into that later and probably won't because I'm That's like- a big I'm, subject. It yeah. is a huge subject. Um, but yeah, I was, you know, I was convinced roughly around university stage that I was like, 
no, this is true. This is really true. And that's the evolution side of things in terms of my own like journey. Can I jump in for a second? Yeah, go for it. When you were going, when you were asking those questions, did you engage with any of the like the apologetic kind of ministries, like say Creation Ministries, yeah. or you know, yeah. you got into what? Oh, yeah, our church was really great. We had some of the youth that um, brought people in from, I think, from Creation Ministries and from just like academics from our church, yep. and we put together a like Sven Erstring or John yeah. Ashton. Yeah, or... Sven Erstring, uh, Sven came around, uh-huh. um, and a few others from our church, and we just had like a little conference for a weekend and discussed all of these topics. That's and so awesome. Yeah, it was really, really good. So that was just once off, but there were like a few other situations where we did something similar as well. And just having those people, a little bit older people in my church that were able to share those ideas, and you know, you've got books and books to read, and like from my end as well, I know what's secular or what, what the theory is in terms of evolution. So I just look at that kind of stuff and, and the like PubMed and all that kind of like research kind of side of things um, versus what I believe as well. So it's it's been a really good experience and it's not just a once-off reading and then you're like, yep, I'm convinced and it goes mm. away. No, it's something that you get exposed to every day and then you remake that decision, I think, every day. Mm. So that's one side of things. The science side of things. That's the science side. <laughs> okay, what was the other side? The other side, I think, is like our emotions and our belief and our faith and oh, experience. Experience, huge thing, huge thing. Experience, man, like so many miracles have happened in my life and in other people's lives, but my life as well. And I think a lot of us think, oh, we don't have the same miracles like back in the day, like in in the Bible times where, you know, Moses spread the Red Sea and everyone walked across. Like we think that that's, you know, we need to see something that big to be a miracle. But I think when God opens your eyes to what's happening in your life, he makes you realize, no, I'm I'm making personal miracles for you. Mm. Um, and that's when you and your story become something big and it becomes so personal with God. And yeah, I think that's a huge part as well. And then finally, I think another part that a lot of us kind of forget is history, like the historical mm. evidence of Jesus. Oh, with parents who come from Iraq, you just have <laughs> so much history right there. Dude. I'm just super jealous right now. Can I just say, my brother and my dad went to the Middle East a couple of years ago on this little um, biblical tour that yes. my dad led. So obviously, like, oh, like it no was, way. it was so and great. I didn't get to go. I missed out. <laughs> no, it was just them two, and like they decided to book it and and tell me and my mum later, and they're like, oh yeah, you didn't have holidays during that time so we booked it anyway <laughs> my mom and i were like what oh, so we were planning the next year to go to the middle east and and then, and COVID. then covid hit and we're like no <laughs> so i actually have never been to the to the middle east but you must I, have so much family over there oh oh that's a good point not many actually so oh, a lot okay. of them were in the middle east but because of all the wars that have happened yep. everyone's kind of spread right a lot of them in australia america even sweden and yep. Yep. Different areas. Yep. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Oh, wow. But at least, I mean, hey, um, when your dad goes over there, you know, he speaks Arabic. Do you speak Arabic? Oh, I'll say shoya, shoya, which means <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> my parents and my grandparents, oh, my grandparents are so ashamed. I love you guys. <laughs> but, but I need to learn more. You'd probably, you'd probably um, be surprised how much you understood when you were on the street, though. On the street? Yeah, talking to people on the street. You'd probably be surprised yeah. how much you were able to pick up and understand compared to, say, someone like myself yeah, who, wouldn't, um, <laughs> who wouldn't pick up a thing. <laughs> this mm. is true. Yeah, no, I understand a little bit, but um, not enough. 
You Not need enough. to you need to to um to reconnect with your, your I know. heritage. <laughs> my grandpa, he's so beautiful. My grandpa's like, um every time I see him, he's like, Okay, talk to me in Arabic, Arabic only <laughs> I'm like, yes. Okay, I'm gonna try it and so I say a word here and then I'm like I turn to my grandma and I'm like, What's the word for? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so cute Dude, that's awesome. but he's so right <laughs> i would i would love to know you made a really awesome point there about your experience and the miracles mm. day by day yeah um, that you're seeing in your own life and so i'd love to ask you you know because you've kind of progressed in life now you're doctor on on the way to being a doctor two yeah. years off being a gp yeah um and what have you seen you know whether it's been recently or over that space of time where it's been you know personal personal miracles where god has really blessed and, and moved yeah, look, there's so many. There really is so many. I think um I think everyone's testimony is actually a journey. It's not just this once once off kind of thing. Like even mm. for you Lawson and your testimony where <laughs> where you know someone knocked at the door and and converted you, not necessarily straight away, but it's yeah. a daily testimony with God. Yeah. Um and I think that for me I'll share the most recent experience. Um mm. literally just happened yesterday. And look, to be honest, spiritually i'm like not in the right mindset right now i feel like i've been struggling a lot with covid and all that kind of stuff mm. and and somehow god is so merciful he still uses me yes and that yes. that's yes i'm just shocked at it every day uh-huh. um and okay so what happened yesterday was i've got a patient like i said i work um in a kind of a rural area um so there's not many gps around and if there are gps not many specialists around so we kind of get quite involved with our patients over many specialties mm. um this one beautiful lady um she's in her 80s and i started seeing her earlier this year and um she kept on explaining that like oh couldn't I can't swallow properly like i keep on having this reflux kind of stuff and can't swallow properly and we're like oh, you know, sounds just kind of like reflux. We'll give you tablets for reflux. Oh, no, no, there's something going on. And I'm like, oh, it's just happened for a couple of weeks, a couple of months. It should be fine, but we'll monitor it. Um, and then um, and then all of a sudden, like, things started popping up. Like, she was losing weight. She, she actually wasn't able to swallow solids before. Mm. It was just, like, choking on a few little things. Um, anyway, so we got to a point where, like, okay, we need to get you investigated, da, da, da. And it turns out she had esophageal cancer, mm. um, which is quite a difficult one to deal with. Not many people um, actually uh, get treated and are completely in remission and then completely cured from it. Um, so anyway, we found out she had esophageal cancer and I was shocked. She actually went through chemo and radiotherapy, which was amazing. And she got out of it and she was coming back to my practice and I was like, oh, you're here. I was so happy. <laughs> um, and, you know, I kept on seeing her regularly, made sure she was okay, brought her in and out of hospital. Um, and, and she got to a point where she was in remission and we're all really happy about it. Um, and look, this lady kind of lived on her own. Her family were around, but not necessarily in, in the same town. Um, so coming to see me meant that I kind of like organized everything. And if, if I knew her family weren't around, then I'd like write things down in particular, call a few people for her so that she could have everything done for her because it can get quite complicated as you get older as well. Um, but yeah, so we've, we've, you know, we've developed this bond, which was really beautiful. And then, um, literally just last week she came and saw me and she's like, I, I can't swallow again. I don't know what's going on. And, um, 
I was worried about her bloods that I saw and I was like, oh my gosh, we need to fix your bloods. But anyway, you can't swallow. Let, let's get this checked out. Sent her to hospital. Um, and then yesterday her daughter came in and just said, um, look, I don't know if you've heard, but mum's been palliated. And I was like, what? She goes, yeah, the cancer's completely come back mm-hmm. um, and it's blocked off pretty much all of the esophagus. Um, and, and the boss says she has one to three weeks to live. Oh, and I was like, what? Like, I was kind of somewhat expecting the cancer potentially to come back. And it, and then I heard about things here and there. But one to three weeks, I was just shocked, mm. absolutely shocked. Um, and, yeah, she um, she said she was in the hospital. So I said, oh, let me go visit her. It's just down the road. So I went to visit her later after work yesterday and, um, like, with the permission of the family, of course, and, um, I sat down with them and, you know, talked about palliative care. I don't know if you guys know much about palliative care. It's pretty much um, not necessarily end stage of life, but yes, end stage of life. But it's used to manage pain, nausea, make people feel comfortable. Yes. But they say that there are specific things that we want to talk about in palliative care. And one of them is always religion mm-hmm. and end of life kind of beliefs. Um, and I think people underutilize that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think uh, as a GP registrar, I wasn't, if I was in Sydney, I don't think I'd be able to be exposed to palliative care as much as I am in Foster because it's like, <laughs> like so not many yeah. palliative care physicians there. And, you know, anyway. The person so, just gets moved on to the next specialist yeah, and it becomes their responsibility. And that's right. Over. That's right. Yeah. So it's quite a close-knit community as well. And, yeah, so I was able to um, have a chat to her and, you know, talk about end-of-life care, what she wants, what how she's feeling. And thank God she's not in pain. She's not nauseous or anything. Um, and she was eating custard. I was so happy with the custard. It was really cute. Anyway, so I was sitting there with her and her two um, kids, one of her daughters and her son. Um, and I got to the point where I was like, okay, we've talked about everything. Now, should I bring up this religion thing? Yes. <laughs> that is the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, I was just like, I'm not worthy enough right now. What am I doing? But anyway, I'm going to do it. And so I said, so... Lots of people at the end stage of life, you know, they do want to, we do want to bring up whether or not you have a religion. Do you have anything in particular that you believe in? And her daughter goes, yeah, mum's Catholic and um, we didn't have a priest here that's close enough or anything like that, but we're going to bring one in tomorrow da, da, and he'll anoint her. And I was like, oh, yeah, no worries. That's really, really good. Um, let me know if there's anything I can do. And then I was like... I had this voice in my head going, no, just pray with her. Yes, <laughs> you got yes, yes. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Because if it was just her, easy, no worries. I've done that before and I've just been so blessed to be able to um, have that opportunity with people in the end of life, to be able to pray with them or tell them that I'm praying for them. Mm. But um, in front of two of her kids, I was like, I don't want to, like, push this on anyone. I don't want anyone to, like, complain about me and take it to APRA. And <laughs> I was a little bit worried. But anyway, I said, is it okay? And I said that to the patient and to the family members. Is it okay if I pray with you? I'm not a priest or anything, but is it okay if we pray? And she's like, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so I grabbed her hand and just started praying. And it was very simple prayer, very, very broad. So like, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus, we know that you're coming soon. And um, we know that we will see this patient up in heaven again, blah, blah. I pray that you give her comfort and um, give comfort to the family and da, da, da. Um, And it was very short, very broad. And then I stopped and like, I looked at the family and I was like, I don't know how they responded to that, but I'll take it anyway. And then I looked at my patient and she had tears in her eyes and I was like, mm. 
oh, praise God. But I really hope, like, I just really hope that her heart is really searching for God. And um, look, the point of the story is um, one of the, yeah, one of the more recent experiences is that God continues to show me how graceful he is. Mm. But on top of that, he will continue to use me um, even though I'm not worthy enough. Mm. And like in that, in the profession that I'm in, I should be being used every day. (laughs) That's a fantastic story. Thank you so much, Joy, for sharing that story with us this morning. Unfortunately, we do need to move on with the show, but I just want to encourage you in your your medical practice, in your ministry to others, Grab every opportunity you can yeah. to pray with people. I love it when I go to a doctor and the doctor, you know, offers to pray with me. It happens on the rarest of occasions, but <laughs> I am seeing a GP now who is just a devout Christian man. Oh, beautiful. And so that's something that is absolutely fantastic. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.